Welcome to the Simple Money, Simple Life podcast. I am Matt Erickson and I am your host. This is a podcast where we explore how simplicity beats complexity, especially in money matters. We explore investing, personal finance, and how to live a simple and awesome life. Welcome to episode nine, titled Money and Marriage. So for this podcast, I am going to have a guest join me again, similar to last podcast. Last podcast, I had my wife, Rachel, on with me, and we discussed real estate. She's a real estate agent, so she was speaking more as a professional and an expert in the area. Today, I'm having Rachel on again with me, but she's not necessarily speaking as an expert, but speaking as my wife and more just a casual conversation. So we're going to have a podcast episode today about how we've worked through money marriage, and marriage together and kind of how things have worked out, how we've navigated things and tried to come to a place where we've been successful together. So back in 2010, Rachel and I took our boys to a family trip up in the Uintas in Wyoming. And we stayed in a cabin with extended family and did some fun things up there. We swam in a pool, we went for a hike around Mirror Lake, and we went on some ATVs and had a lot of fun back in the in the woods of Wyoming. On our way home, Rachel, back in that time, uh, we had CDs, no, not CDs, yes, CDs, and we listened to The Total Money Makeover on the way home from the Uintas, which is a book by Dave Ramsey, a bestseller. I had not really heard of Dave Ramsey or knew anything about him at the time, so it was new to me. So while we were riding home, I listened to this, and it really captured my attention and initiated a conversation with Rachel about our finances and our home and our automobiles, And it really kind of lit a fire under me, especially, and also some under Rachel, to accelerate our path to debt freedom. So what we did was we actually sold a car we had just bought, and I bought a scooter. So that was an interesting uh, couple years driving that scooter around. Eventually, we went back to being a two-car family because we just needed it for our lifestyle. But we did it for a money move to get out of debt. And also we began to accelerate our mortgage payments on our house. So like I've mentioned in other episodes, we began to use extra money that we could squeeze out of our budget and maybe any bonuses or other money that Rachel earned, we would put into the house so that we could become debt-free quicker. And as you guys probably know, Dave Ramsey is a big proponent of paying the mortgage off. And we kind of accepted that logic and decided to go full in on getting our house paid off. If I were to go back in time, we'll save this for another episode, but there might have been some better decisions to invest some of that money, but it does feel great to be to have our mortgage paid off and to not have a payment there. I had no idea how checking out that CD cluster from the library would change our lives. It created what uh, Matt's desire and thirst for knowledge in the financial realm to just escalate. Yeah, because in 2010, I didn't really have an interest in personal finance. And that 
day in that car lit a fire under me and it hasn't been extinguished since. So ever since then, I've listened to financial podcasts, I've read dozens of books, and I've it's become one of my hobbies and really one of my passions and interests. So it's interesting how one experience can take us in a trajectory we weren't necessarily expecting because I had no interest in personal finance really before that as far as being a hobby or something I enjoyed. And it's good. It's been a good thing. Looking back, it's really a positive, it's taken a positive um, turn in our lives and in our finances. But I won't say that it was not without its uh, growing pains. It's been a little bit of a stretch for me in many ways. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about that as we uh, get into our conversation. The first spot I'd like to start, Rach, is so early in our life, we also I read all the Dave Ramsey books and I was really into his stuff for a while there and not as much anymore. But one of the things we did that he taught was we didn't use credit cards for a while. We, while we were getting out of debt, we went to more of a cash envelope type system where we would get a certain amount of cash out each check and spend it in different categories and stay away from credit card payments because of the belief that when you spend on a credit card, you spend more money. And now we've moved over to more of a spending plan. So Rach, I want to ask you, like thinking back in those times of when we didn't make as much money and the budget was tighter and we did the cash plan versus the credit card plan, are you glad we did that? And what are your thoughts on kind of how we handled that? I think in that type of a situation, it was really good. I mean, it was painful and a little bit trying at times, but it was really good to think ahead to expenses and then make room in our budget for those expenses rather than having those expenses come up and have to pull it out of the money that we've already spent and what we are kind of lacking instead of planning for where our money would go. So I think in that respect, it was really good. It was also good for me to start with um, having a having the cash system and seeing where the money was going and seeing how quickly it goes. When you use a credit card or a debit card, you don't see that effect as much. And I think that was really good. I think in if you are really um, have kind of a tight budget, I think it's a great system. I don't think it is probably great long term for anybody. You probably all would get tired of it and and not love it for a long time. I agree. I think it was really good for us for a period of life because we tried staying on the credit card system for a while and it just wasn't working for us at the time because our our budget was fairly tight. We weren't making a ton of money. And I think getting on that cash plan, even though I did, thinking back on it, I don't think I enjoyed it very much. Uh, just having the paper money and sorting it into categories and carrying money to the stores, it, it just wasn't my favorite. But for a season in our life while we were, because our main goal was to pay off our home and to get out of debt. And so during that season of our life, I think it really served its purpose and helped us to, like you said, become more aware of our money and how we were spending it and whatnot. Uh, What do you think? So we, that's the system we used to use. And we would have a monthly meeting where we would plan out our budget and line by line, how much was going in each category, and we stuck to it fairly well. Now we've moved on to a more relaxed system where we call it more of a non-budget or a spending plan or whatever term you want to use. 
And now we, we have our fixed expenses. We've decided how much we save each month, how much we invest, and then we kind of spend the rest. We have our I, kind of our muscle memory on how much we spend on food and other things. So, Rach, how do you like the system we're currently on uh, versus what we used to do, and what are the pros and cons of it? Well, I think for now, it's it's nice. It's nice to live in this stage where we don't have to monitor every dime so much. But I do think it's important, and I think Dave Ramsey kind of touches on this quite a bit, is deciding who in the relationship is going to be the money person, who is maybe not so much the money person, or maybe it's a shared responsibility. Um, for us, it wouldn't work if I were in charge of the money. Matt does a much better job of being in charge of that. If I were, I just don't monitor it closely like he does. I don't have the desire to know where it's all going. So still, like in my mind, you still kind of monitor it. You do all of the bills and all of the, the monthly expenses and the monthly savings. And I kind of don't have as much of a hand in that, which works fantastic for me, but it probably wouldn't work for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think it's important to determine in your relationship who's willing to do that and then divvy out the responsibilities and then move forward because otherwise we just probably would end up in this situation just both spending and going hog wild yeah that's a great point I think we have figured out because we communicate and we talk with each other we figured out who has these strengths who has these weaknesses and kind of work together to find a system that works for us and since I'm interested in money and I'm detail oriented being kind of the, I guess you could say the CFO of the family or just in charge of finances or watching over it a little more closely, someone has to take on that role. And typically in a marriage, the one who's better at it or more interested in it will take on that role. And I haven't seen too many marriages where both people are really interested. It's interested, interesting how that works out. And for us, it seems to work really well because it's something I'm interested in. Rachel is not, so I enjoy watching over it and I think one reason why it works for us is because Rachel is uh, open-minded and easy to talk to about money. And she doesn't get defensive when we talk about needing to tighten things up a little bit for this reason or that reason. She doesn't take it personally when we talk about our spending. Um, one other thing I think we've done that has worked well is when we've considered big purchases like a car or a vacation, we have discussions about it ahead of time and we don't impulsively buy anything that's worth probably more than a couple hundred dollars we just don't and so we've kind of talked back and forth so Rach how's that worked for you in our marriage with the um kind of avoiding impulsive buys and thinking ahead and planning more because we maybe plan too much sometimes well I'm glad that you uh think that I don't have um, I don't take the money talks personally because sometimes I feel like, oh, I'm since I am the spender, that if we have a problem, it is probably my fault. Um, so I'm glad you don't see it as that. No, I don't. <laughs> um, I think for uh, anybody, it is just a matter of being um, aware of what's going on and aware of what your needs are. And for me, having that awareness like I said earlier and planning ahead for big purchases it just makes me a lot more comfortable I think if I were to go out and make a big purchase and then talk to you after the fact I would feel uncomfortable and feel a little bit sheepish about it so 
I prefer the way that we have it now. And again, that may not be for everybody, but I think it takes a lot of the stress out of it. Yeah, exactly. We just see it as being on the same team and being, and neither one of us really impulsively buys stuff or has a, a strong desire for material possessions, really. So it works well for us. And it's just something we talk about when we need to. So one other thing I want to talk about, Rach, is kind of the concept of saving for the future. I have dreams of an early retirement and traveling and doing lots of things together. And so I've put a plan in place to hopefully be able to do that. But we also want to think about enjoying life in the moment. And if it were up to me, we'd probably save more. And you bring the balance of remembering that we need to live now. Like we, I mentioned before in a podcast, Rachel and I went to Italy a year and a half ago, and it, we had the time of our lives. We spent 10 days in Italy, in northern Italy, from Rome north, and just it was probably one of the best experiences of our lives. And so, Rach, why don't you comment on kind of the balance between living now versus saving for the future? Well, that's a hard one for me because uh, I am definitely the live now, spend it now. I have had, I've taken several little uh spontaneous trips or kind of spontaneous trips with the kids um, and I blame it on because I, I had cancer and so for me it's hard to look ahead and plan ahead too much for the future I feel like oh we just need to enjoy life now so I don't know it's good that we have the balance it's good that we balance each other out because either way I don't think would be 100% great so we're lucky that way I don't know yeah I think we we do balance because if it were me, we'd, we would have a higher savings rate. But since Rachel values travel and experiences a lot, I've started to, well, not started to, but <clears throat> I too enjoy that. And it's helped a lot since our youngest went to kindergarten and Rachel became a real estate agent because then we became a dual income family. And that I know that some families can't do that, but for us, it was kind of a game changer. Uh, especially since Rachel enjoys doing what she's doing and she has flexibility like when she's gone through she's gone through a couple of serious bouts of uh, breast cancer and had a lot of issues along the way during that and during some of that time she did take a couple of our kids to Disneyland a couple times and their friends and um, had some great experiences but had she not been working and earning money, we probably wouldn't have been able to do that. So, Rach, how have you liked this phase of life where you're earning an income and we're not just a one-income family anymore? Well, it's definitely lightened the load quite a bit. Even though I don't make a ton of money, I'm not a super mega producer, um, it's enough that it makes it so that we can do some fun things. And like Matt said, that's important to me. It's important to spend time and do those experiences and I don't think, you know, you won't get those opportunities back. So if you can, I think it's a great thing to spend time with your family and do those kinds of things. But kind of like you said, when you have a little bit of extra income, it definitely makes it a lot easier. It's made a lot of difference in just my stress level, having that extra income and not have to watch every dime so much and be able to have some of those more experiences. So. I think one takeaway for the audience hopefully is that if you are a one income family, maybe thinking creatively about how the other person could bring in some income or the main breadwinner could 
take on a small side hustle of something he or she enjoys where you could boost your income. I think sometimes we limit ourselves with, well, I make this much a year. I'm a teacher, so I'm always going to be making this much. When in reality, there's a lot of creative ways nowadays to to make extra money if we really want to. Like, for example, in my profession, I'm a mental health therapist and I work for a school where we work with kids with issues. And if I really wanted to, I could also run a private practice on the side. I choose not to because of lots of reasons, but if I wanted to and needed the money, I could enhance my income significantly if I really wanted to. And so, and Rachel's the same way. She works part-time so that she can spend a lot of time with our kids and take good care of our house and make great meals for us. But if we needed more money, she could probably go out and make more by putting more time into it. So it's been good having those having that balance between two of us. Well, I was just thinking the same thing. There are so many ways, and so many people are amazingly creative. You can go out there and make a business on Instagram, on Facebook. You could do an online business. There's so many opportunities now, like you said, that you don't, and you don't need to spend that much time or money. It used to be you'd have to have a storefront and you'd have to pay all of the rent and then have all of the product, but you don't have to do that now. There are so many ways you can make money and it doesn't need to take a lot of time, 10, 20 hours a week. I would say if you can find something that will take just that much time, it can help a little bit with your finances and just lighten things up a little bit. Yeah, it's been awesome that way. So one other thing I wanna touch on, Rach, is we have kind of, Dave Ramsey says that when you get married, you're one, and I agree with that principle. Uh, He suggests and kind of demands that couples combine their finances once they get married. And that is what we did when we got married. We combined our finances. Uh, As you've become a real estate agent, though you've had your separate account uh, to keep your business money in and and whatnot. So what's your feeling on couples having a joint account versus separate accounts in finances? Well, I think that was a tricky one because it does take, um, especially when there is one spender and one saver, I think it's important for you to figure out what works for you because where I like certain things that I enjoy having done, like having my hair done, um, make it costs a fair amount of money. And I think if Matt saw the expense every single time, it would make him a little bit anxious and a little bit nervous that I was spending that money. So I think there is a balance in allowing your spouse to have a little bit of leeway and have a little bit of um, money that they can spend on themselves. And whether that is in your budget, uh, you either take a set amount of your budget that we're gonna dedicate to this, or you get a separate job so that you can do that. I did, I separated my, my money is kind of a little bit separate, and I view Matt's money as our money, and my money sometimes is my money. It's quite, quite a program she has going on here. <laughs> so sometimes, uh, you know, we don't necessarily live the, the combine everything. But I think it works better for us that way because then I'm able to have a little bit more control, but I also have to be accountable and I also have to be the one to take a look at those finances because Matt's not in them all the time. So it makes me have to learn a little bit and be able to do a little bit, but also have a little bit more freedom. Yeah. So I I think it's going to take each couple has to kind of figure out where they are and what's important to them. And it's good not to be rigid about rules of thumb. Like, 
a lot of people say you must do it this way or must do it that way. And in reality, our finances are combined in the big picture. My money is Rachel's money and her money's my money. That's how we view it. But having a little separation really works well. There was a time when I wanted to kind of oversee everything and, and see, be linked to her accounts and that she found that she didn't like that. And I didn't necessarily either. So I just kind of backed off from that. I always generally know how much we have, but I don't get into the minutia of knowing like she said, how much she spent on a haircut or this purchase or that pur purchase. And it's worked really great for us. And finding that balance of we're still transparent with each other. We don't hide anything, which I think is really important, which kind of takes me into the next topic I want to talk about. Did you have something else? Yeah, I was just going to say that that is the key, I think, is to communication, is learning how to communicate. Hey, this is what I need and this is how what works for me and what doesn't work for me, and then communicating with the money. So with the big purchases, we're always communicating. We're communicating how much we have and how much we don't have, and that way it works. Everything works out. If we were to just kind of turn a blind eye and do our own thing, it would it would implode pretty quickly. Yeah, which is a great point. We always know how much we have. We always know how much we're spending, and we also have combine goals of what we want to do next or what is kind of next on our agenda when we can afford it. And so we kind of work together to find those mutual goals of where we want to go. Neither one of us has a lot of hobbies that require a lot of money or pouring money into ourselves. We just don't operate that way. We have more combined goals of going on a family trip. Uh, right now we want to redo our countertops. So those are the kind of things that that we're doing that that work for us so once I know someone from the past who was married and he found out a while quite a while into their marriage that his wife had been running up credit card bills and had thousands and thousands of dollars of debt and he had no idea it led to a divorce and a really sad situation and I think there is a lot of hiding purchases and money in marriage which can be just as bad as regular infidelity. Financial infidelity can destroy a marriage and really leave scars that, that last and leave a mark. And I think Rachel and I have always been committed to being open with each other about our finances. And I can't think, I, I don't mean this as boastful, and I'm trying not to do that, but I, don't, I can't think of a time when we tried to hide money from each other. Rach, what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think that is one of the important things, just like we were talking about a second ago about communication, is if I said, you know what, I know that when I get stressed, I will feel a little bit better if I am able to make this kind of purchase when I'm stressed. So we plan ahead, and you could say, hey, when I, I you know, once a month, I know I get this kind of tendency, so this is approximately how much I'm going to plan. So to plan for it and communicate for it, and then you don't end up with the huge credit card bill that nobody knows about. Um, I was thinking about, though, I did make a big purchase once. I purchased a bike and didn't tell Matt about it for a couple of weeks, and we ended up having some family stress and issues in the middle of it. So it ended up being like a month after I'd made the purchase. I don't regret the purchase. <laughs> I used that bike a lot and really enjoyed it. But it would have been a lot less stressful for me looking back if I would have just told him up front because it was it really was a couple of weeks and it kind of ate away at me, and um, so yeah. Yeah, I it, forgot about perfect. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
Uh, I read recently, or I maybe heard it on a podcast or something. Anyway, there was a woman speaking, and she was talking about how kind of lousy her husband was with money and wanting to spend all the time. And she used the term, I give him an allowance. And it just really struck a chord in me. It, It felt like a parent giving a child an allowance. And I think there's a lot of I've heard this many times over the years of maybe one of the spouses controlling the money almost and treating the other spouse almost like a child, maybe for a good reason because the the other spouse can't be trusted. But that giving a spouse an allowance just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. It just didn't sound like a united team working together. Well, it goes back to the communication. It just goes back to, you know what, if I am just instead saying... I need, I need this, I need that to be able to function, then we can plan for it. And it's kind of the same thing. It's not necessarily an allowance, but we're budgeting for that or we're planning for it. And it solves the problem for both sides, but both parties have to be willing to communicate. The one that has the needs or the wants needs to be able to voice those. And then the one that's the more, the money conscious one needs to figure out, say, okay, let's make a plan how we can make that happen. So it takes both sides to be willing to be open and to communicate. And that goes to probably back to your basic communication in your marriage. Yeah, for sure. So just a couple more points I wanted to talk about before we wrap up for this week. So we've kind of settled on a savings rate. We pay tithing to our church. We are very committed to that. We pay tithes and offerings. Um, We believe in giving and we believe that we've been blessed with what we've been blessed with and we want to give some to those who are less fortunate. That's a very important part of our marriage and always will be and always has been. But beyond that kind of tithing and offerings that we pay, we also have a savings rate that I think I said in another podcast has gone anywhere from five to 20%. We, I don't think we've ever been able to save over 20%. But right now I think we're in that range of 15 to 20% ish. And while it won't get us to, you know, financial independence in the next few years, we're headed in that direction. We're not super savers, but we're committed to saving. And Rach, how do you feel we've done on like just finding the right pace and the right savings rate? Because it's been low at times during our high medical bill years, during cancer, and during our son's, um, one of our sons has some major medical issues, it, we had to lower it. What do you think? <laughs> well, that's kind of the, uh, this is where the part of me that just kind of checks out. <laughs> so whatever you've done is great. <laughs> guess we haven't I, really communicated too <laughs> too closely a, about that one I have a hard time again of in actually envisioning the future I kind of limit myself and so I've had a hard time picturing the future so it's hard for me to say yeah let's go ahead and put 20 25 30 percent of what we earn into a future I have a hard time imagining I am really glad that Matt takes the initiative and makes those plans and he's talked to me about it But in all honesty, that is one of the things I kind of tune out on. So, And I think that's okay. I think if we are both willing to do our part, I don't think we both have to be 100% on the same page all the time. I think if one of us is is a little bit, uh, what's the word, lacks interest in it, Mm -hmm. 
I think as long as somebody's planning. Yeah, somebody definitely needs to be doing it. Otherwise, you'll end up landing at 65 with... No money. With no, not two nickels to rub together and a very sparse uh, and retirement. And we have seen that happen. Even with family yeah, members, we've we have. seen that happen. So I see the importance, but again, I kind of lack the vision. So I'm glad that Matt has the vision. And I guess what is important is we we have we are not perfect and we have made our mistakes along the way for sure but we're trying to work together and it makes a huge difference in our marriage just to be working for united cause and trying to head in the same direction as you can probably tell by listening to us Rachel and I are very different in a lot of ways she loves music and singing and plays and whatnot I love sports and so we tolerate each other's differences in those ways, but then we found many places in common ground. Like we love to go mountain biking together. We love to go for walks together. We love nature together, but we're very different people. But one thing that I think I've learned about life is two very different people can still have a wonderful marriage. And even in money matters, we're very different in how we look at things and even how we probably were raised and yet we found a way to kind of land on a system that works for us. I think the big thing that makes that work is the underlying trust, is that we've learned to trust each other, we have learned to be confident in each other, and that is huge. I think if you're lacking that piece, then any of it, the rest of it can't be, you can't build on it. So you've got to start out with that foundation of trust. And if you don't have it, then there are ways that you can get it, but that is, I think, probably the foundational biggest piece. Yeah, I think a good marriage, a good financial marriage, is built on the foundation of trust. It's more important than anything. And thanks, Rachel, for joining me again this week. I've loved talking with you and having you on. And it's been a fun conversation to have this. I hope you, as the audience, has enjoyed it as much as I have. That will be all for today's episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the podcast. Please go to your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. I would love a five-star review if you think that I deserve it. By leaving reviews, you help the show to grow and reach a bigger audience. And so if you could take the time to go to the Apple Podcast app or wherever you might listen and leave a quick review, it only takes a couple minutes to do that or less. Also, you can follow the show on Instagram at simplemoney underscore simplelife. And remember, the simple life is a good life.